0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy.
1: Thank you for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we discuss with our experts what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Nisha Matthew, and joining me for today's episode is Andrea Pallada, Clinical Coordinator of Infectious Disease from the Cleveland Clinic Ohio main campus, and Alexander Kane, Infectious Disease Pharmacy Specialist from MedStar Montgomery Medical Center, Maryland. Our guests today will be discussing their perspective as ID pharmacists and their take on the updated 2023 Antibiotic Stewardship Joint Commission Standards. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. We are also including the links to the Joint Commission Stewardship Standards in the description of the podcast if you would like to follow along with us. And without further ado, let's get right into it with our Q&A discussion session. So. Andrea, I'm going to start off with you for our first question. We know that the Joint Commission has instituted five new medication management standards related to antibiotic stewardship. With these new ASP standards, which one seemed most challenging and required the most work at your hospital system? And how does the team plan to accomplish the standard? Thanks, Nisha, and thanks for having me here today. Definitely the two
0: standards that stood out the most to us at Cleveland Clinic were EP18, which is where the Antibiotic Stewardship Program implements at least two evidence-based guidelines to improve antibiotic use for the most common indications, so implementing guidelines, and EP19, where the Stewardship Program evaluates adherence to at least one of those evidence-based guidelines that the hospital implements. There are a couple notes on this one saying the hospital may measure adherence at a group level or at individual prescriber level, and that we can obtain adherence data for a sample of patients from relevant clinical areas by analyzing the health record or by conducting chart reviews. So when we look at 18 about implementing our evidence-based guidelines, the things we have in place mostly relate to what's available in the electronic medical record around order sets for specific indications. We have a very robust sepsis order set that includes a lot of those common infectious indications and empiric therapy choices. We also have a homegrown web app with all of our empiric therapy recs, as well as antibiotic dosing and other protocols for stewardship at our site that's pushed out to all of our cleveland clinic devices whether you like it or not so all cleveland clinic caregivers do have access to our empiric therapy guides right in the palm of their hand and at order prescribing on our intranet site we felt pretty good with this one having met a lot of those standards right away but when it comes to evaluating adherence this dives into big data management or small data management, depending upon how you look at it. We need to do some work in identifying syndromes that patients have and what antibiotics they're using for those treatments, as well as finding a way to display that data and evaluate it over time. So what we are looking to do is add more robust indications for use on our antimicrobial orders, which would be more syndrome-specific indications. You say it's UTI or SSTI or things like that. And then we're also looking to expand the data analyst positions that we have so we can have more robust dashboards and reporting for those things to look at long-term. So it is going to be an enterprise approach for us and it will require a lot of work to get us fully evaluating all of the syndromes that we'd like to evaluate.
1: Thank you for that, Andrea. And Alex, did you wanna expand from your system what you're doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of good points that Andrea made regarding EP18 and EP19, which I agree with. EP19 probably being one of the more challenging standards to implement. From my perspective at my hospital, I think another standard that will be challenging to effectively and consistently implement will be EP21. That being the hospital takes action on improvement opportunities identified by the antibiotic stewardship program. I think a lot of times there are times where we as antibiotic stewards identify opportunities for optimization in antimicrobial use. Perhaps it's in our surgical patients with documented penicillin allergies who receive alternative or less ideal prophylactic regimens or creating pathways to minimize the treatment of asymptomatic bacteriuria, for example. And for these pathways, or for these indications, we develop a lot of great educational material and organized data to try to facilitate practice changes. However, the optimal facilitation of these changes often requires buy-in from all parties involved, and everyone really has to be in agreement before any effective change can take place. From my perspective, and what I like to harp on with my learners is that antimicrobial stewardship really is a team sport. The antimicrobial stewardship programs can often get the ball rolling, but I think it's the responsibility of all healthcare providers to keep it rolling.
1: That's really well said. I love how you talked about it as a team sport and, you know, the collaboration with providers to keep it rolling. With that, let's get into our next question. What standard did you feel is most needed in your organization right now between all the new ones that came out? And I'm going to start with Alex.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to go back to what Andrea talked about with the first question. I think the standard most needed at my site right now is EP18. And just as a refresher, that's the antibiotic stewardship program implements at least two evidence-based guidelines to improve antibiotic use for the most common indications. I think this standard is key for many antimicrobial stewardship programs, and I'm sure many antimicrobial stewardship programs, as Andrea had alluded to, already has something in place. But it's especially important for smaller programs, and those may be such as at smaller community hospitals that have fewer resources compared to the larger hospitals and larger stewardship programs. Development of treatment guidelines for your bread and butter infections, such as community-acquired pneumonia, urinary tract infections, skin and soft tissue infections, and asymptomatic bacteria could really really relieve our antimicrobial stewardship pharmacists of a lot of heavy lifting during the prospective audit and feedback process by influencing the antibiotic prescribing patterns more upstream. I think the key to this standard will be including all relevant parties and practice areas to ensure appropriate buy-in to fully implement these guidelines.
1: Those are all excellent points. And Andrea, do you want to tell us what you feel is most needed from these standards at Cleveland Clinic? Absolutely.
0: Again, our 18 and 19 that we talked about before are going to be the biggest lifts and really give us an opportunity to showcase what we're doing in a stewardship program. So I'd like to also highlight the EP20, which is a revised standard saying that the stewardship program collects, analyzes, and reports data to hospital leadership and prescribers. This is one area that Cleveland Clinic is always looking to improve upon is how do we communicate what we are doing, how we're doing it to the right players and keep those players engaged as our stewardship partners overall. This does include you know resistance patterns which are with our annual antibiogram, looking at antibiotic prescribing practices, an evaluation of our overall services. So are we seeing appropriate selection of empiric therapy, duration of therapy? And then how do we get that information from the top all the way down to the bedside? So we're looking at Ensuring our minutes from our stewardship meetings are presented at our quality meetings, our pharmacy and therapeutics committees, as well as our medical executive committee, which is physician and uh, prescriber meetings at each of our local hospitals. And then using the opportunity to talk about our data when we make our individual recommendations at the bedside with our primary providers in the hospital. So we are really looking at communication as one of our main goals for this year and continuing.
1: That is amazing. That is really good to know that communication and teamwork and collaboration is really a key portion of these new Joint Commission standards. For the next question, let's start with Andrea first. Are there any standards that you feel are too strict or not strict enough in this revision?
0: Absolutely. There are a lot of standards here and a lot of changes. So the one I did want to highlight that may be tough for some different hospitals to implement is the EP10, which is a new new standard that the hospital allocates financial resources for staffing and information technology to support the antimicrobial stewardship program. At the Cleveland Clinic, we do a lot of our information technology support comes from the enterprise level. So we're looking to show joint commission during our screening and our review that we have dedicated support that is for the enterprise, which touches all of our hospitals. And we are showing that specific peoples in our IT team are dedicated to antimicrobial stewardship and helping us to keep those services running with development of our prospective audit and feedback software, as well as tracking and reporting of our data. So we felt that that would be one that seems pretty strict, that you have to actually show those financial resources. But looking at what we have at our site, we should be able to show that in our next survey.
1: That is excellent. And Alex, do you want to tell us what you feel from your system was maybe not so strict or strict enough?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to definitely piggyback off of what Andrea talked about with EP10. I would agree that that's maybe one of the more vague standards that are included in the new Joint Commission updates, where I feel like the standard is relatively vague at the moment because it's unclear exactly as to what the allocation of financial resources is explicitly meaning. But at the same time, I think the benefit not just ep10 but the benefit for all standards of not having them explicitly spelled out allows antimicrobial stewardships the opportunity to be flexible and implement these standards in a way that makes the most sense for their facility overall i would say that many of the standards are fairly reasonable and are probably a lot of antimicrobial stewardship programs out there that are already implementing many of these standards if not all of them again i think ep19 is definitely going to be a thorn in a lot of Antimicrobial stewardship program sides with evaluating the adherence to a lot of those evidence based guidelines. But in general, I think it's a good opportunity that these standards are maybe vague in some places and more strict in others, as it gives us more flexibility to carry out the antimicrobial stewardship program as we see fit.
1: That's great. I definitely can appreciate that room within some of the standards to allow, whether it's annual or every six months or to keep it applicable to all sites. For our next question, we're going to start with Alex. And so, incorporating these new ASB standards, such as EP16, in your facility, will your facility report antibiotic use data to the national healthcare safety networks, or will your facility analyze the data in house? And if you are analyzing it in house, does the organization have some software that tracks this data or a designated person that monitors and reports to the committee?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, at the moment, our facility reports antibiotic use data to NHSN, and we also have an in-house antibiotic use dashboard. So our in-house reporting system utilizes Tableau, which is a really great tool. So currently it reports our days of therapy per 1,000 patient days, and allows for a comparison to other facilities within the system. This in-house Tableau dashboard is generally updated on a monthly basis. So it actually allows for pretty decent real-time data extraction, And that's without much manual effort on my part. So it's really making my life pretty easy. The benefit here with our in-house dashboards is that it allows me to compare my facility to other facilities within the same network. Now, it's also helpful to have the luxury to be able to bounce back and forth between this and NHSN data. Because some of our system-specific data is, while helpful, it's not necessarily beneficial for me to compare my my antimicrobial use data to a, a larger solid organ transplant and hematologic transplant facility so nhsn really allows me to make more realistic comparisons to facilities that serve a similar demographic as to my current hospital
1: that's great and andrea do you want to tell us what your system does for these standards on reporting yes we
0: also report to nhsn at cleveland clinic we have experience both with a third-party vendor to submit our data, as well as using our electronic medical record to submit our data to NHSN. Similar to Alex, we have Tableau dashboards that were developed by our informatics teams that help us track the days of therapy per 1,000 days present, as well as the SAR values that which compare our facility to other like facilities and being a large academic medical center like Cleveland Clinic, utilizing... Our comparison to other large academic medical centers in the United States is really helpful to see where our overall utilization is as well. Some of the challenges that we do have with these systems is now we have about five years of data in our Tableau dashboard. It's really interesting to see those trends over time. We can see where certain units changed from one thing to another because it's all location mapped the same way that infection prevention is. So The reporting that we do have to NHSN, as Alex said, is just a piece of the pie. It gives you a little bit of information about how antibiotics are being used in each of your areas of the hospital. However, some of the ways we're hoping to utilize additional dashboards that we're going to build in the future will help us look at indications as well as hopefully some duration of therapy as we target those areas for stewardship interventions in the future.
1: That does really sound great. It's really good to know that both of your systems are using NHSN and able to comply with the new days of therapy standard per 1,000 patient days. So going into our next question, which we've talked a little bit about EP18 quite a bit, but our next question is also about EP18, and I'm going to start with Andrea first on this one. So the Joint Commission EP18 standard on stewardship implements at least two evidence-based guidelines to improve antibiotic use for common indications. What guideline has your institution used to improve antibiotic use? For example, like are you using any antibiogram cumulative data, percent susceptible, or order sets with typical pathogens, or any unique scenarios or workup assessment, or first-line, second-line therapies? And are these guidelines easily accessible for our staff
0: yes thank you we do have multiple places to help providers select the targeted empiric therapies for different syndromes looking at our inpatient services we have a a robust sepsis order set that includes different infectious syndromes dependent upon what the patient is presenting with with sepsis where the provider can select the therapies based on our antibiogram, as well as our combination antibiograms that we do in the ICUs as well. In our emergency rooms, our providers can type in a syndrome like urinary tract infection or UTI, and there they'll see an order panel that will direct them to the therapies most recommended based on our antibiogram and using the IDSA guidelines for use in those areas. Our outpatient settings have a similar functionality with order panels when you type in the infectious syndrome, and we're looking to add these order panel-specific, infection-specific clues in our inpatient side, which is something that we've been working on over the next couple of years. But really, our ED and outpatient clinics, where we have less infectious diseases, pharmacist oversight in a day-to-day practice, we try to give those tools to our providers right at the time of ordering.
1: That is excellent. It really sounds interesting. Alex, do you want to tell us how you're complying with the two evidence-based guidelines and what your system is doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our institution, similarly to what Andrea was talking about, we utilize our antibiograms to help drive optimal, appropriate, empiric antibiotic use. So a really great example of this that actually just recently occurred within our facility was that we just had an update to our initial antibiotic selection for patients with suspected sepsis or septic shock. Previously, we were really an empiric vancomycin, perpacillin-tazobactam site, as I'm sure many other facilities across the country are. However, we really reanalyzed our antibiogram data over the past couple of years, and our data really indicated that cefepime has better empiric pseudomonal coverage at most of our sites across the board. So as a result, many of our empiric regimens have changed from vancomycin and piperacillin tazobactam to vancomycin and cefepime. We also paired these updates with implementation of a beta-lactam hypersensitivity guideline to help drive more cephalosporin use in patients with reported penicillin allergies as opposed to some alternative agents such as things like streptomycin, potentially carbapenems and fluoroquinolones. And these guidelines similarly are really readily accessible for many of our providers at our sites through our intranet site. So not necessarily directly on your phone or a particular app, but it is readily accessible on our any hospital computer.
1: Got it. That's excellent. And it's interesting to see what technology can do for us these days with, you know, whether it's the SharePoint or a phone app or order sets. So love the different strategies you're using to accomplish this. With our next question, which is more about training and reporting on EP12 and EP20. Alex, I'm going to start with you on this one. Let's talk about the antimicrobial stewardship programs that can, we know that it can potentially reduce resistant infections through education, through competencies, and active collaboration with our hospital providers, our leaders, and our staff. With these added roles and staffing issues that we have in our health systems, do you see any challenges with operating the program effectively, especially with the training demands?
2: Yeah, I think that touches on a a pretty key point is, you know, adding responsibilities, juggling many different roles, and and on top of staffing issues will always be a balancing act and will also always be a challenge that needs to be overcome. But really, from my perspective, I think in terms of training other pharmacists or finding a physician to champion antimicrobial stewardship efforts is well worth the time investment. Uh, I think many facilities, depending on staffing availability and other components have only one antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist, and that individual may only have a limited dedicated time towards stewardship activities. So really, if that pharmacist can extend or expand upon his or her reach and empower other individuals to incorporate stewardship activities into their daily workflow, then the stewardship program as a whole will really have more opportunity to grow and have consistent and effective outcomes. Additionally, I think when other pharmacists and physicians feel empowered to make these antimicrobial stewardship interventions independently, then that should free up the dedicated antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist to handle some other responsibilities with the day-to-day operations of the antimicrobial stewardship program.
1: That's great. Andrea, tell us about how you're accomplishing the training and competencies and the challenges that your system with staffing. Yes. Piggybacking off of what Alex had said we really utilize
0: our stewardship extenders our clinical pharmacists throughout the enterprise and in our in most of our rounding teams are right there making recommendations for antibiotic utilization. We use our stewardship activities to maybe find some of those needles in the haystack. So we have a prospective audit and feedback like stewardship alert system that tries to find those drug bug mismatches as well as other types of alerts. Our pharmacists on the floor catch many of those but We catch some as well, real time, because it is updated as new data is coming back from our microbiology lab. One of the things we've been doing with our stewardship alerts is looking for ways to make them more efficient and effective. The more alerts that are actionable, the better, as opposed to having a ton of alerts that maybe are only 20 to 25% actionable. That's a lot of patients you need to screen through to find those actionable alerts. So whenever we can, to make those more efficient, we evaluate different parts of our alerting system every year to make sure we're getting the most bang for the buck for the time that the stewardship pharmacists are standing there. I also want to highlight that many states have opportunities for pharmacists to practice more independently with vancomycin dosing services or other antimicrobial dosing services that allow the pharmacist just to make the changes that are needed for those medications to keep them safe and effective as opposed to paging a provider waiting for them to call back having them put the order in and checking it the pharmacist can just do it right there so the the more opportunities we have for pharmacists to practice at top of license the more efficient they can be in getting those interventions done And frees up some time to take on some of the other activities like communication to our providers and getting our competencies ready for each of our caregiver groups for nursing and providers and APPs and things like that. So we really are trying to look at the overall program that we have to find those efficiencies and then pulling in those extenders again to help us get the most we can from our stewardship program.
1: That's excellent to, you know, stretch those resources a tad bit by using extenders and constantly doing that PDCA to see where and how can we pull it with limited resources in the hospital. So with that, let's go into our last question. I'm going to start with Alex this time, and this is about EP17 that notes that the stewardship program implement one or both strategies to optimize antibiotic prescribing. The first one in regards to pre-authorization approval of specific antibiotics prior to use, and the second prospective review and feedback of antibiotic prescribing practices, including positive blood cultures how are you implementing this at your site
2: so currently at our site we are implementing both a pre-authorization and a prospective review with feedback at our site so regarding pre-authorization we actually have a pretty interesting tiered approach with our antimicrobials at the moment so we have a a two-tiered pre-authorization process and what we'll classify as i guess tier one and tier two so tier one antimicrobials so things such as miropenum, daptomycin linazolid can actually be ordered by a non-ID provider. However, our caveat and requirement for use requires that a formal ID consult be placed and that our ID providers are actively following these patients. So it's a responsibility of our pharmacists really to ensure that those criteria are being met at the time of order, especially if being ordered by a non-ID provider. Now that next tier, that step up, are kind of our more heavy hitters. So that second tier of antibiotics are going to include things like Ceftazidime avibactam, ceftolozane tazobactam, Aravocycline, amphotericin. These absolutely must be ordered by an ID provider. So again, the responsibility is going to lie on our pharmacists to ensure that those policies are being followed. And again, the, the key with the pre-authorization process is kind of to help drive antibiotic prescribing more upstream as opposed to catching it more retrospectively in the prospective audit and feedback process. Our Prospective review and feedback process, again, is really prioritized by patients with positive blood cultures and also patients who are receiving therapy with those restricted agents looking for opportunities to de-escalate as soon as possible. So as part of my workflow as the antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist, I am reviewing those patients with positive blood cultures and those patients who are receiving our restricted agents. Additionally, we have alerts fire within our electronic medical record for our for pharmacists as well to review patients with positive blood cultures. So we're really trying to catch it at multiple angles. Sometimes an alert might be missed, or maybe if our stewardship pharmacist isn't there for the day, it can be catched by another pharmacist, simply by looking at the alerts within the within the electronic medical record.
1: That's wonderful. Andrea, do you want to tell us your side of the story on this one, on how you're implementing it? Yes. At Cleveland Clinic, we have
0: restriction criteria on many of our you know, broad spectrum or targeted therapy antimicrobials, and most of them are restricted to infectious diseases. So our linazolid, daptomycin, Avicaz, things like that. Additionally, some of our more niche antibiotics do have restriction to infectious diseases. Sometimes we also have restrictions to our bone marrow transplant or solid organ transplant services for some of our prophylactic antifungal agents. And sometimes we also have additional criteria to utilize these therapies in a, a specific population with something like a, a more resistant infection. So it's really going to be at that time of prescribing as long as there is an infectious diseases consult. In most cases, the the pharmacist can put those orders through. And in our Drug use evaluations, we found over 95% adherence to our restriction criteria on most of our restricted drugs. So we are following our criteria and allowing our infectious diseases providers to determine when a patient would require those therapies. Additionally, we have rapid diagnostics for gram-positive and gram-negative blood culture positivity. We get alerts in our medical record and through a pager that allows the pharmacist to evaluate the therapy. And contact the teams to make sure that the most appropriate therapy is being utilized for those patients. We have an antibiogram specifically for our positive blood cultures that helps us to tweak and narrow therapy as quickly as possible or whenever we can. We've also just started rapid diagnostics on our CNS infections. So having collected our CSF from uh, lumbar puncture for community acquired meningitis encephalitis, we can run a rapid diagnostic on that as well from our microbiology lab. And I think I've already mentioned some of our things with our stewardship alerting system.
1: So I think that's all I have for that one. Thank you. Those are definitely exciting, both from Montgomery Health and also Cleveland Clinic in terms of what we can do with EMR alerts and being notified real-time to drive antibiotic de-escalation as well as escalation. So very interesting. Well, That's all that we have time for today. I want to thank Alexander Kane and Andrea Pallotta for joining us today to discuss the changes in the Joint Commission requirements for antibiotic stewardship. I also want to thank my ASHP team, as well as Dr. Courtney Henry and Ora Dorsey from the ASHP section of inpatient care medication management in shaping this program and putting it together. So if you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings, such as the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, and more. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Hot Topics in Pharmacy. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to subscribe to the ASHP Official podcast for more great content. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for
0: listening to ASHP Official